Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hoover. I've been looking forward to this episode and I'm honestly kind of geeking out over this episode because I'm a big fan of of you, Amy. Amy is a certified trauma support specialist and certified holistic life coach. You can find her on Instagram at Amy the Life Coach, which is actually where I found her. When I started dating again post-trauma um, and found myself like an injured fish out of water, my boyfriend even began following her because Amy shares a lot of free, valuable content that is really, really helpful. Uh, I then found myself listening to her podcast and may or may not have binged her podcast. Uh, so something that I feel separates you, Amy, from many specialists I've like come across um, is that you are also a trauma survivor yourself. Uh, yes both from relational trauma along with familial trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy, can you tell us in what way did your experiences shape you to be able to do the work you're doing today? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for having me and for following all of my my work <laughs> and my podcast and everything. I put a lot of time and energy into the, the content that I create. Um, I would say that, I mean, I'm I'm in agreement with the fact that my being a trauma survivor and abuse survivor sets me apart from a lot of conventional therapists who are working with trauma because not all of them have walked through that experience themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it gives this unique perspective on all of the nuances that happen within our mind and our body and our life and our relationships after we've been traumatized. Now, what got me here was I had, I mean, I had childhood trauma. I struggled deeply with my mental health uh, when I was a teenager. And I asked my parents if I could go to therapy. Specifically, I asked my mom because you just like didn't talk to my dad like that. And my mom was very emotionally reactive and it was just kind of this chaotic environment. And so she said, I could go, just don't tell your father, he'll think you're crazy. And so it was already starting off (laughs) with some shame going into the experience. And I went into conventional therapy and it really didn't support me the way I needed. I was younger at the time. I was less aware at the time. So it was nice to have someone else to talk to, but mm-hmm. it didn't give me tools and and really an understanding. I sought that after like years of struggling and continued pattern re- like repetition until I became probably in my twenties where I got sick of these patterns and I realized I needed to do some more research myself and find some alternative methods to just understand myself. At that point, I was on a career into the fashion industry at the time after college and thought that was going to be my career path until I realized that wasn't really fulfilling me. Yeah. And something kind of happens for people that start to do this work on themselves. And I see it with the thousands of people that I have worked with over the last decade. And that's not necessarily that they all want to take this career path ever. It's just more like they want to spread this word. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so whether it's, oh, I really want to explain this to my kids or my spouse or my friends, or I want to start a podcast about it, or I want to write a book about my own experiences. There's this deep desire to extend that healing beyond yourself mm-hmm. when you start to do it on yourself. And I think for me in trying to figure out what would be fulfilling and make me happy, I circled back to what I was naturally good at. And that was in spite of all of my suffering and struggling since a young age, I happened to be that person that everybody came to, Mm -hmm. to confide in, to look for support from. And so I ended up here and it now makes sense, but you know, life always makes sense backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, that's incredible. I think, um, our experiences, I mean, definitely do shape us. Um, and I think it's really, there comes a point where like, there's just a crossroad and a decision, like what you're willing and, and going to do with like the past experiences that you've had. And it's, I, you know, I've seen like in my own life, like family who have experienced difficult upbringings and then are still, you know, in their sixties, stuck in that same loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really encouraging, like to hear that. I think, you know, in your early twenties, you're able to realize like, okay, I don't want to be in this loop. Like I need to figure out for myself how to like release myself from this, but also better myself from this. And then now I'm going to pass this on to thousands of people because, uh, it's definitely encouraged me and equipped me. Um, and I know it's equipped so many others. So I'm just really grateful for the journey that you went on because really you paved the way for a lot of us who, you know, didn't have that awareness ourselves. Something I learned, uh, I guess only really by being in a safe relationship was that like, while I'd been in therapy, um, for like over two years, I felt like I had done the work and then there were certain things I feel like I could only learn while being in a safe relationship, Um, and I know all about like your love story with you and Phil and I've listened to like your experiences together, um, and how he's been that like safe, healthy, steady partner for you. Um, but how were you specifically able to discern what is a self, what is a safe, healthy relationship? Like for those people who are listening, because I know that you on your podcast, you talk about boundaries, um, and setting those boundaries, but I think it's really difficult for people who are um, and you know this, like from all of your clients, but it's scary to think about dating again, because a lot of people don't trust themselves to be able to like discern or be aware of like what to look out for. And I think it's like one or the other, like people are like, oh no, I know that like, I know what the red flags are. And like, I will never let somebody treat me like this again. And then you enter a relationship and it gets really sticky or, um, people are like, I'm never going to date again. (laughs) And like, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. And they just are really terrified to even enter into dating. So what would you say, like from you entering into that with Phil, like what helped you to discern what was safe and healthy with him? You know, I had just started dating (laughs) probably like a year and a half before meeting Phil. Mm -hmm. And I had been one of those people that was single for a good six years by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really 
wasn't thinking too much about it, like got to a place where I was just like, I want to work through my own stuff and really didn't want to entertain anything else was very, very content with just my, my relationship with me, my relationship with my family, my friends, building my business and all of that. Mm-hmm. And what, what happened for me was I, when I did start dating, I went into it kind of without any clarity as to what I needed to do or how this needed to be. And I was so nervous because I had been single for so long. I just threw myself into it and started going on these dates and talking to people. And I found myself getting so irritated mm. so quickly. And as you said, this this happens, right? These These people who have been through trauma or abuse relationally, often come out the other side and have this binary way of thinking about every situation in their life. It's just black and white because black and white feels very safe, but it's just also how they're now functioning in the world because there's no, there's no room for them to consider another alternative or another reality. Their window of tolerance is too small And so they're thrown into fight or flight very quickly. Mm -hmm. And for me, I found myself realizing that very quickly and realizing, okay, I need to learn from all of these interactions. So what I started to do from the day I started going on dates or talking to people was, and everybody says they do this. And Mm -hmm. I have learned in the work that I do with people, they're not fully doing it to the extent they need to. So, so a lot of people say, oh, I made a list of the ideal partner, right? Mm-hmm. But they're they're specific to an extent. They're specific in terms of like, I want him to look this way, or I want her to look this way and have this kind of job and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What you want to do is get super specific about how you like being treated. And how you like being spoken to, like straight down to, I was so clear by the time I met Phil on, I want someone who just naturally banters with me during Mm -hmm. the day. Like, I don't want somebody who just sends me a good morning text. And then the next morning I wake up and it's another good morning text, but there's no actual connection or conversation at Mm -hmm. any other point in time. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like one example of like countless others, right? Like if we go on a date, this is how my ideal experience is going to play out for me and not holding an expectation that's unrealistic, but holding a standard for myself about how I want to feel, right? And and what that might look and sound like and then being open to things looking a little bit differently, but still providing me the same feeling. So by the time Phil came along, I had had enough (laughs) of dating and was on my way out of this app and set a very clear boundary for myself and said, I'm done. I'm giving myself seven days. I'm going to actually pay on Bumble for the feature that lets you like see all it's called the beeline, Mm -hmm. see all the people that liked your profile. Yeah. If I don't find him in there, (laughs) 
I'm just going to have to meet him in the grocery store or on the street or whatever. And so I spent the next seven days like designating a time to go in there and check. And I think literally by day two of doing that, I saw his name and I just happened to recognize his last name Hmm. and immediately was prompted to be able to message him and go, I know that name. We went to elementary school together and- he immediately responded and was like, uh, I would have remembered you. And I was like, mm, nice line. Yeah. And we just started bantering. He was like, no way. He's like, you know, my brother. And then we found out our, we grew up two roads away from each other. Oh, wow. And it was this whole crazy story. Yeah. Our moms worked in the same hospital together. They knew each other. I knew his brothers. I didn't really know him very well because he was older than me. Anyway, long story short, we connected after I had taken the feedback I've gotten from these countless other experiences and actually used it to get more clear on what my boundaries were. Mm-hmm. And so when when somebody is starting that process and they find that they're scared and they're like, I'm just going to be single forever because I don't want to end up in the same situation I was once in and I don't trust myself. You can trust yourself when you sit down and you say, I don't like being spoken to this way. Here's why. Mm -hmm. Here's what I want instead. And I understand why, because this is what it makes me feel. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel supported. It makes me feel whatever that's positive. And then the minute you bump into the opposite, not you don't cut them off immediately, depending on what it is, Mm -hmm. but you just make note and you go, okay, well, is this a thing that's non-negotiable for me? Or is this a thing that I've got some wiggle room on? Mm -hmm. And when you do that and you have this clear understanding of yourself and your own parameters, you do trust yourself in front of anyone in any situation. Yeah. Yeah. What I, so you said something like when, um, something happens and it maybe uh could trigger like a response because it's not something that you want like they speak to you in a certain tone or yeah let's use that as an example like they speak to you in a certain tone or um raise their voice like um and then immediately you're like oh I don't want that I want someone who is soft with me and gentle for example like um what happens to like a trauma survivor's nervous system after they experience abuse um like when people go into fight, flight, or freeze, um, in those situations, can you just like dig into that a little bit? Because I think a lot of times, especially for me, like I didn't know what was going on with me, but when I was encountering like situations, um, the way my therapist would explain it is like, you got burned. And then like, whenever you feel like you're close to the fire, like my brain is screaming at me, like you could get burned again, but it's not actually, I'm not actually near the fire. It's like, misfiring. My brain is in danger when I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I I would say that another way to look at it is like, if you've ever been physically injured or had a surgery and let's say you have a scar on your arm, right? Like I broke my elbow on my 21st birthday, my elbow to this day still doesn't, (laughs) my arm is not straight (laughs) to this day regardless of like physical therapy, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And therefore, 
when I do certain things, right? Like I can feel the pain associated with that injury from decades ago. And, and sometimes there's just the awareness that like, Ooh, don't want to do that because I could hurt my elbow again. Like my association of hurting my elbow was I was wearing these stiletto leather boots Mm -hmm. and I slipped and fell. And so since that point, it was like, "Mm, stiletto's bad, right? So we make this association, even though really that's not the case. So when it comes to relationships and you have these triggers, which you have to recognize, and I always use the word, I'm sure you remember this. I always explain it as like the trigger is confusingly similar Mm -hmm. to the trauma that you went through. So if you are sensitive to a certain tone of voice or, and and that's the other piece, our trauma triggers come through our five senses. So that's why trauma survivors feel like they're walking in a minefield all the time because we're not always tuned in until we start the healing process to all of the different things that could trigger us. It could be a smell, a sound, a taste, a facial expression, um, somebody's body language, you know, like it could be any of those things. So let's take that tone of voice example. You associate a certain type of tone of voice with that traumatic incident, even though the person in front of you didn't cause the trauma, Mm -hmm. they're matching something that did cause the trauma, Mm -hmm. right? So it's triggering this memory in your mind and your body where you now relive that traumatic experience in that moment. And that's why your nervous system goes into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn because you detect a threat. So the trigger for you indicates there's a threat in this relationship or this environment. And my now, based on my experience, I need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. So your nervous system is working correctly, but like your therapist said, it's misfiring. But I I wouldn't even, I feel like that kind of frames it negatively. It's confused because it's traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. So to work through that, like what what I teach people to do in in, in my process is to identify their triggers. And once we identify the trick and the, that's the ones we are aware of at the present moment, this is such a layered process that like to this day, I've been doing this for God knows how long to this day. I'm like, Oh, didn't realize that was triggering. (laughs) (laughs) You just have the tools in your tool belt now that you can like whip one out real quick and go, okay, noted new trigger. Right. And, and I know how to move through it. I know how to soothe my nervous system or ask for help when I need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> like emotionally regulating can be really difficult. Um, I know like for me, my natural response is like, I just, I just, um, I'm very flighty, like when I'm triggered. And so, um, what would you say, like for people who are listening, um, how to emotionally regulate, um, when they feel like, you know, people are against them. I think like, there's just this, this perception that people have, like, and I hear it a lot through like the survivors I talk to, um, that I interview, like for their stories. Um, 
And people who are entering into safe relationships, they just maybe haven't encountered a safe relationship before, either through not having those experiences um, within their own family. And then on top of that, an abusive relationship, um, people don't know how to self-regulate. And so they end up kind of self-destructing or Um, Mm self-sabotaging. Maybe like tools for somebody who's listening, who's having a really difficult time um, going through that minefield. So I wish I could give some like, just like basic kind of black and white answer to this. But the truth is, is that like, it's emotional regulation mixed with this awareness, right? And the ability to set a boundary either with yourself or within that environment or with that person. So it's this like fusion of all of these things. Now, in terms of regulating our emotions in a moment, some basic things to do is number one, you can remove yourself from the environment, like take space, Mm -hmm. take a deep breath, right? So breathing techniques, creating space from whatever the thing was that activated you or triggered you. And that's if you're able to, Mm -hmm. because sometimes people go into freeze mode and they like, I've had that response before where I just stand and shake. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not moving. (laughs) And, and usually as I'm shaking, I start crying and then I start panicking because I'm crying and shaking. And it's only taken me having to process through my trauma and just be able to talk about that nervous system response that allows me in that moment to get to a place where I go, okay, I'm just like, I'm having, uh, I'm in freeze mode right now Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be able to calm down by doing X, Y, and Z. I have to kind of breathe through it and let it pass. And so there's this like arsenal of different ways to go about this, right? So, so in uh, many cases, it, that might be the case. You sit and you breathe and you wait about the 15 to 20 minutes that your your threat response starts to settle down. Um, if you're able to move, move out of the environment, take a walk, go get some fresh air. Um, in certain cases, you might be able to sit down and journal out your thoughts and your feelings or you might be able to sit and meditate. Not everybody can do some of those things based on the response that they're having, right? In that moment, other things that you can do somatically to calm your nervous system, because when your nervous system is activated, it doesn't fully respond to verbal communication. So somebody being like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're safe, calm down is nice to a degree, but it's not really speaking to the nervous system. It's speaking to us caught, you know, like we can hear you, but we can't feel you kind of thing. Yeah. So standing and I mean, I'm obviously going to have to describe this, but like standing with your, with your legs kind of like hip width apart, and just like shaking your body back and forth loosely, right? Like kind of like you did, like you were a kid, arms down, very relaxed at your side and just moving side to side. That movement somatically can send a message to your nervous system to settle and 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 regulate 
another one that I always give clients because it's very discreet and they'll use it when they're at work is if you take your pointer finger and you rub it along your top lip, that sends signals to your nervous system. Another one is if you take your palms together and you just rub them kind of like, you know, you're creating friction or you can rub the tops of your thighs. So, so those are ways in those activated moments where your emotions are heightened things you can do. Now there's, there's additional work to be done. I think, I think it's important to say that because I don't want to mislead anyone into thinking that's all they need to do. There's additional work to do after those moments Mm -hmm. so that the next time you're in a situation that doesn't happen to that degree anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know hundred percent. And I think, um, there's lots of work to be done, which is why like, you know, even I hope people who are listening, like, uh, you know, cause you provide like services for individuals and you work one-on-one with people. And I think like, um, this is just like a starting point, like by no means does it cure, um, cure us. But I think, uh, something that's been a hard reality, like even for me is that I think there was like a period of time where I sort of was like bitter. And I was like, well, I went through all of this abuse and all of this trauma. So like, like my partner, like just, you have to just understand that I just like have triggers and I'm just like triggered. But then that became really honestly toxic and unhealthy because like, yes, I went through trauma. Yes. I had a very abusive ex-husband, but like, I am still responsible for doing the work, the inner healing to like apply these, like to calm my nervous system. And it is like you said, like someone saying like, you're safe, like, I'm not going to hurt you. Or like, you're not, this is not that. Like, I love that you said that. Like, I've never heard anyone say that to me before because it's like, it's like someone speaking to you, but you're not really hearing it because it doesn't actually calm your nervous system. And so you're responsible for calming your nervous system, even though it's acting up because of experiences you had that you may not have caused, like you are still responsible for calming your own nervous system. And so having these tools and like your little in your arsenal is it's really important. And so I, yeah, I just love that you said that. I think it's a good point that you make though, that, you know, there are stages, right. And, and so, yeah, I've been there too, where I was just like, take me or leave me. Like, this is just deal with it. This is just who I am. And I'm reactive to this and I'm reactive, but I have people like that who are older in my life and, don't realize, have no interest in realizing they have trauma. It's obvious to me they have trauma and they're very much of the attitude at their age. Like, just, can't you just accept me and love me? And you're like, let me explain something to you. I can love you and I can hold you accountable. I can accept you. And I can tell you that you projecting your behavior or blaming me for your mismanagement of your emotions is not okay. And I can set a boundary around that, right? So that comes back to that like binary way of thinking. It's not an either or and is really important in the healing process to add into our vocabulary and think about when we're moving through all of these different phases of our life, right? You are responsible for your own emotions. And yes, 
you're going to get triggered at times and you find a happy medium of, I can manage this to this degree. You know, there's still things that Phil helps me co-regulate on because that is the way that helps. Mm -hmm. And he's willing to do that. And he knows I'm always doing my work on myself and I'm always working to improve. So he believes that things are always improving because I show him they're always improving, right? So I'm not dependent on him to manage and be responsible for me, which makes him even more willing to support me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it, um, I think that's an episode in itself. Like I'm just thinking like, you know, for partners, um, because it can become really, it can wear on like a partner. If like, especially if like the individual who had experienced trauma, isn't doing the work, but being able to show like, okay, I am like always growing and changing. This is not, I'm not going to stay in this spot forever. Like I'm going to continue to evolve, um, helps, um, secure the healthy, safe partner to know like, okay, this, this person is, is always going to be like working to better themselves. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm creating, ironically, I, I was working on it earlier. I'm, I'm creating a course right now for the supportive partners mm-hmm. to, or supportive family or supportive friends to trauma survivors to help them be able to navigate how they're feeling because sometimes both people in that relationship have trauma and sometimes they don't. And one starts to feel resentful or taken advantage of or drained. So having, having some guidance and understanding as to where your own limits are as a supportive person in their life is important. Yeah. I'm kind of transitioning into like safe partners. Um, like, so you wrote something, um, recently on Instagram about how kindness can feel triggering, Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, that's very accurate. Um, and you wrote something that said, kindness is gentle and you may not be used to gentleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love this because, you know, around two years after I left my ex-husband, I met B and he was very gentle with me. And it took me time to feel and allow myself to relax into being treated gently. And I didn't realize that. <clears throat> and I think genuinely it's been through listening to your podcast um and even specifically like your familial um the things you've talked about regarding like your mom and the way you were raised and stuff like I I didn't even realize that was playing a part in like why I was so just like not used to being treated gently I just didn't have this safe healthy partner even when it was you know in my parents um and so B is very steady. He's comes from a really great family. Um, he is very gentle. And um, nine months later, I'm like still learning, I think, how to lean into that gentleness. Um, can you explain ways in which it can feel triggering like for people when they are with a safe partner and how, I don't know if this question even makes sense, what I'm trying to ask you, but I really liked that you said this. And I think, I guess like, for example, it could feel boring for somebody who has experienced constant chaos in their childhood, constant mm-hmm. chaos in their relationship, but that can be like 
uh, a way that you sort of sabotage. You're like, oh, this is just boring. This is just, you know, because it's mundane because it's supposed to be steady. It's not supposed to be this constant like roller coaster of emotions every day. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're asking. So like, what are the, what are those things that come up in a safe relationship that are healthy, but are triggering Mm -hmm. and obviously kindness, gentleness, um, conflict is such an interesting one because a lot of us, um, haven't had a healthy experience of conflict, let alone healthy conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. So that can bring up fears of conflict, fears of abandonment, fears of backlash, fears of punishment. Like, I mean, you name the fear, it can come up on that. So what happens is in a safe relationship, there's (laughs) in a, in, in a healthy relationship, there's conflict still. It's just, there's also healthy conflict resolution, there's healthy communication, and there's repair after conflict. And a lot of us haven't ever had been exposed to that and, or had it modeled to us. I know I didn't at all in my life. Conflict was screaming and yelling and just like these really, really heated moments that happened so frequently that there was really no space for peace. And then we were blamed usually like for the adult's behavior. It was our fault that they acted or felt that way. Mm -hmm. And we were told we needed to fix it and apologize. And then the next morning they would wake up like it didn't happen. There was no reparative conversation, no honest dialogue about how we were feeling. Like our feelings didn't seem to matter. Mm -hmm. and you know, and, and I always say this on my podcast, I have a really great relationship with my parents and we have really honest conversations now about that. And I say to them, I understand why you were that way because that's how your parents were for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they at 70 are very much like, yeah, that's all we knew, which Mm -hmm. is true. And, (laughs) (laughs) And you could have educated yourself and helped yourself, but that's okay. You didn't. And unfortunately now I'm the one (laughs) having to do that. Yeah. But so, so yeah, so conflict is a very interesting one because that's the thing that I see uh, a lot of people get triggered by the minute there's an argument, the minute there's a disagreement, the minute there's disapproval or a misalignment of values it's like, oh, I'm done. No, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, I'm scared. They're going to leave me. So I'm going to leave them before they leave me. Right. It, it really activates a lot of that self-sabotage where we fear rejection. So we'll self-reject. Wow. Um, so that's a big, big one. I'm trying to think of some other little ones. Oh, I mean, aside or addition to the, the kindness, I know, I, that would bring up for me a lot of suspicion and paranoia because mm-hmm. I grew up in a house with men who express their love and affection through backhanded compliments, sarcasm, passive aggression. And to have a partner that would like come to me in the middle of the day and just hold me and tell me he loves me and he thinks I'm beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's like my antennas went up. I was immediately like, would you do? What yeah. are you guilty of? <laughs> yeah. Are you being Why? 
Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I think the takeaway for this is that if your baseline is, I don't know, it is, is unstable, right? Is unkind, is confusing, is chaotic, is a roller coaster, is manipulative, whatever. If, if that's your baseline, then anything different than that or better than I would say healthier than that, more supportive than that is going to send off a signal of threat because we seem to underestimate exposure, not just in a relationship and like through conversation and treatment, but environmental exposures, you know, like peace is a good one. Silence was very triggering for me. Peace was very triggering for me. Like having no problems in the relationship. I mean, that's, that's unfair to say not no problems, but like no volatile arguments, right? Like having the skills on both ends to communicate effectively. And when we have conflict it at this point, and we're two years in, doesn't feel like conflict. It just feels like a honest conversation to have those moments was very triggering because I was like, Oh, this is going too well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Other shoes going to drop. Uh, if, if he sat in silence with me, I immediately thought something was wrong. Like you're thinking something and not telling it to me because I was exposed for so long to people who lacked communication skills, who made me guess and check, who made me read their body language and, or who abandoned me. And whether that was emotional abandonment or in dating, I got ghosted a ton. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, oh, if he didn't text back immediately, even though we live together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like, he's, he's leaving me. It's happening. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so, so we don't realize I, I truly, I don't like to compare, but having been on both ends of it, Mm -hmm. I would say surviving an abusive situation is hell. Mm -hmm. But when you, when you move past that and you enter into something safe and you can't receive it, it feels like an equal hell. Yeah. Yeah. So accurate. So accurate. Um, after like my abusive marriage, like when I started to entertain people, like I realized very quickly that there was a pattern in the types of guys I would entertain, which were typically like emotionally unavailable Mm -hmm. or just like didn't treat me with respect and care. Um, And I started to get really curious with myself, like, why do I keep dating the same types of guys? And I remember just starting to research this. And um, what I found was like that, like, while we desire to be with a safe, healthy partner, that's at the core of what we want is to just be happy and safe. And like, when you have experienced a situation where there is chaos, um, you learn to almost thrive in that chaos because we're used to chaos. And so when we're in a safe, healthy relationship, Um, like you said, when we are in a safe, healthy relationship and we can't receive it, that's like an equal hell. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel that. And I find that like, it's, 
it's challenging because while you have tried to get away from that that chaos, like you create chaos and disturb the peace because you're not used to the peace or the safety. But yeah. say to someone who is disturbing the peace in a relationship and creating their own chaos because they thrive in that chaos. I would say that they have to get sick of their own shit. Mm. Yeah. And people don't love to hear that because they're like, no, 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 Amy, there's got to be something that's got to bring my attention to it. And the reality is this. If you don't get sick of yourself and your self-destructive patterns, that you will get feedback from that relationship or that environment that there is a hard boundary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll cop to the fact to, to all my clients at times where I go, they're like, this is so difficult. <laughs> I'm trying to set this boundary with him or her, whoever it is. And they're just like, they're, they're kind of improving, but not really, not to the extent I need them to. And I go, listen, I'm going to keep it real with you. Sometimes there are situations for me where I don't wake up. I don't take it seriously. It's not a priority to me because I'm so tolerant, not because I don't care. It's just, I'm so tolerant of it that it's not a big deal that I don't hear Phil unless he has this very firm, clear boundary with me. And if he looks at me and says, I don't know, something like, I will not be in a relationship. And I've said the same thing to him at times too. I will not be in a relationship where, uh, for me, it was where, where arguments last for days at a time and they're screaming and yelling and whatever, right? I'm a very calm person, even when I'm angry and I know that's unrealistic to expect from everyone, but my expectation was to not be exposed mm-hmm. to someone getting heated or saying words that can hurt, you know, things like that. And so I've drawn hard lines in the sand, even with my parents. Now, I remember the first time I started setting boundaries with them, I went to their house and I sat down and, and mind you, I drove like 35 minutes to visit them. I walk in and my mom starts telling me a story and she, I commented and my mom's got a thing about being heard, but she's unaware of it. So what happens is when she gets triggered, she just, it's like a switch goes off Mm -hmm. and she starts escalating. She starts screaming at you. She can name call you. It can get nasty. And that's long been there. Mm-hmm. And I decided well, I'm not dealing with this anymore. So I went to visit that happened mm-hmm. and I looked at her very calmly. And I just said, I'm, I'm open to talking to you, but not when you're screaming at me. Yeah. And then I sat there and she continued and I got really upset, but who was I upset with myself? Because the reality was like, I didn't follow through on my own boundary. Mm-hmm. I sat there and told her to stop and I didn't respect myself and like walk away or leave if she continued. And so the next time I went, I changed it up. I said the boundary. She continued. I got my ass up and I left the house and I said, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's like, and this is no disrespect, but I say this to everyone, it's like training 
a dog when you're setting boundaries, because that's what it is. It's reinforcement over and over and over again. So sometimes people don't wake up until that reinforcement is such a clear line in the sand of like, I will not, and I will, I'll show you that mm-hmm. I'm going to follow through on this. Like I'm not, it's not an empty threat. I'm not playing a game. I'm serious. Don't talk to me that way or don't treat me that way. This is what's going to happen. You get less Amy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then they wake up. Then all of a sudden my mom shifts her behavior. And then my brother and sister are like, how'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> how's she, why is she different for you, but not for us? Yeah. Because she's the same person for everybody. Mm-hmm. I just teach her how to treat me and you don't. Yeah. Wow. Um, just to backtrack with Phil, you were saying like you guys, so did you feel like you don't have to answer this, but did you feel like, um, when you guys were learning how to have, um, arguments, like were they continuing on for days or was that more like something that happened in your family? No, it was continuing on in, in the sense of like, I really feared conflict and feared abandonment and feared backlash and feared punishment. Mm -hmm. And so I don't like people being unhappy with me. Yeah. I'm the same way. (laughs) I hate it. Like, and, and I've accepted, that's just who I am at this point, but I can find ways to move through it, you know, situationally. And so within our relationship, I was not okay. The minute there was an argument because I thought he was angry at me. I thought that meant he didn't like me anymore or he didn't love me anymore because that's what I got from childhood, right? And so I got concerned. I also have like perfectionism stuff in there. So it was like, mm, it's one thing if I'm in control of telling everyone I'm flawed and imperfect and traumatized. It's different when you see me have a misstep in real time. Mm-hmm. I fear your perception of me. And he equally struggled because what we ended up learning was we cope very differently. I want to move through conflict very fast. I process things very quickly. Um, And the reason I want to do that is for all those reasons I just said, right? Because I don't like it lingering. I don't like how I'm feeling. That's the one piece of it. And I just want to move past it. So let's process it immediately. (laughs) Talk about it immediately and get over it and be fine again. Mm-hmm. And he was, I need space. I take my time to process. We're always going to talk. He was much calmer. He was always like, you need to trust that we're always going to have a conversation. We're just not always going to have that conversation on your watch. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> why not? So, yeah. My, my watch is right. What do you mean? <laughs> so so we had to, we, I mean, it took us a minute, but we, we have figured it out where I now accept, like, this is what compromises in a secure relationship. I think people, especially after trauma are like, I shouldn't have to compromise. Like how do boundaries and compromise go together? And it's like, because when you are on the same team and you care about this person and you want them to feel safe and equally as much, they want the same for you you're willing to not abandon your needs, but sometimes find a creative solution to meet in the middle. So good. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we, we ended up doing. So yeah. So it would linger in my mind, I guess we could say, because I didn't want to resolve it 24 hours later. I wanted to resolve it within the next five minutes. (laughs) And I still, I mean, I'm just quicker at things and prefer it that way. So I didn't change. And I think that's a piece that people need to hear. Like my preference didn't change. Yeah. I would, if I could have it my way, I'd still have it my way. Are you kidding me? My way is way more efficient guys, (laughs) but I respect him and his process. Mm -hmm. So because I respect him and his process and how he processes information and his emotions and the time he needs, he has the conversation sooner than he'd like. Mm -hmm. And I have the conversation later than I'd like. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I like that you said, like, it's not like you're abandoning your own needs, but like there's compromise. And I think like sometimes, especially we can get like all like up in arms about things because we're like, no, it has to be my way. Cause we think that that's like our way of like standing up for ourselves or defending ourselves. But sometimes you don't always in certain situations need to be doing that. Like sometimes it really is okay to compromise and really is okay to like find a middle ground. Um, because they also need a safe, healthy, stable partner. Right. So, yes. Yeah. We tend to forget that when we've been through trauma or abuse, we tend to, and I know this was a, a big thing at the start of our relationship. Cause he was like, there's no space for me. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Pointing around the room, <laughs> like, plenty of space here, Bill. And he's like, no, am emotionally. Mm. He's like, there's no space for me to have my emotions. And I go, and we learned something really interesting about each other in that moment, because I said to him something that was very true. I said, then claim it hmm. because I have, I'm not shy about taking up space and claiming it for myself, especially after trauma, I will be vocal. I will self-advocate. I will govern. I will do all of those things. I will tell you how I'm feeling. And I won't be shy about it. So take up your space because if you're waiting for me to shut down so you can then talk, that's not how this is going to work. And he was like, okay. And then what I learned was he needs that space sometimes to sort through his emotions. And he needs me to not ask him 25 times in a minute, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? What are you feeling? What are you feeling? Yeah. He will come to me and that that really brought up trust stuff cuz mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody in my life who was forthcoming and honest and communicative. So I nagged in in his mind because I didn't trust that he was going to talk, share, ask whatever. Mm-hmm. And he didn't claim space because he was waiting for an obvious opportunity and I'm just going and shooting, you know, all of my emotions out. And I'm like, wait, we again are on the same team and we can work together. And, and that's like a tip I can give everyone. Cause I, I, it worked so well for us. We, before any serious conversation during any reparative conversation after conflict, we always start with saying to each other, we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. And we start it that way because it immediately sets the tone 
for neither one to be defensive. Mm-hmm. Like we're already setting the intention. Everything I'm about to say is because I care about you and us and I deserve to feel heard or I deserve to feel supported or so on and so forth. Yeah. I love that. I think like, yeah, being on the same team is like the first, really the first step in order to recognize that like, it's not about like winning. It's not about being right, but like genuinely each person deserves to have space and room to like communicate and be listened to and respected. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Amy, thank you for joining me on what was her name. I'm like genuinely so grateful. And like, it's so weird to like, hear you talk. Like there was moments in time where you were like talking through this episode. And I'm like, I feel like I'm listening to you on your podcast, but like, you're actually (laughs) like right here and we're having a conversation. Like I'm talking to Amy. So it's just like been so funny to me. Um, You're like the background of like my walks every day. Like I just, I literally have binged your podcast. And so it is just so fun to like be able to talk to you and be able to like, yeah, just get some wisdom from you. Cause I know that people listening are going to absorb all of this. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm personally really grateful for the work that you do. And, uh, if you want to just quickly explain, um, how people can connect with you, if they're interested in doing, um, any of your courses or one-on-one, um, yeah, if you want to explain that as well. Absolutely. Um, so you can head to amyfiedler.com or if you're following me on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, I'm at Amy the Life Coach. Um, and there's a link in the bio of all of those, which will take you to all of my different services. There's free downloads, there's other resources in there, and then I have a course for boundary setting for trauma survivors, um, which I highly recommend to even the partners or the friends or the family of trauma survivors, because it's really just a trauma informed approach to boundary setting. Mm -hmm. And I'm building a course right now for the supportive partners to trauma survivors. So you'll see all of that in those links and on my website. And then you'll see that there's also the option to apply to work with me privately one-on-one. I love that. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to this episode and tune in next Thursday for the next episode. Thanks guys.